Uh, before we look at Second Peter here, let's pray. Dear Lord, please bless this reading of your word, and may we have attentive minds open to hearing from you. Show us what you mean and intend for us in your word here, and draw us closer to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Do you know what pure love is? Last week, we, we considered brotherly love or brotherly affection, and this week, Scripture presents us with love. And this love is distinct from brotherly love, obviously, because Scripture separates the two. It means, it means something distinct here. And so this love, it, it is a higher and grander thing. It's the pinnacle of godly virtues. It's the pinnacle of the list we've been going through. And here, now listen to this list from 2 Peter chapter 1. 5 through 9 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self control, and self control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. As we've seen over the last six, seven weeks here, the, these qualities matter in your life, and love matters in your life. Early in chapter 1, before this list, Peter taught, he wrote that through Christ, believers are partakers in the divine nature, and we've escaped from the corruption that's in the world through sin. So if these qualities are yours, then God's nature in you will be fruitful and effective. But if you are neglecting these, you are so blind, spiritually blind, that or you're so nearsighted, you can only see what's right in front of you, it's as if you are blind. It's as if you are spiritually blind. You will be blind to what's happening in your own life. You will only see your immediate circumstances, and you won't understand how you got there or where your life is headed. You'll be blind to what God is doing in your life. You'll be blind to your own faults. And you will forget, it says, you will forget the sins that God cleansed you from. And we think about the, the opposite of the one today. So what's the opposite of love? Well, hell, hatred and selfishness. The, these choke love they, and they ruin us. And if, so if you're not growing in love and the, these other qualities, then you're, you're forgetting what you were cleansed from. You forget how these sins, they ruined you, but God saved you. And when you are spiritually blind, you can't understand why you're so miserable. Why do things keep going wrong in life? Without godly virtues, we stumble blindly in this life. 
And there are other scriptures that warn us about lack of love in your life. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, to summarize it, it says, without love, you are just an empty noise. You could be the most, the, the greatest miracle man in the world. You could be the most tragic martyr, but without love, you are nothing before God and you gain nothing from God. And 1 John 4, 8, part of what we read earlier today, says anyone who does not love does not know God. So if you think you can have God without his love changing you, then you are a hypocrite, a pretender. You are fooling yourself. Now, since God is, is so vital, it's important we understand what Scripture means when it says love. And the world around us likes to corrupt the meaning of love and confuse it. And it, it doesn't help that in the English language we use one word love to, for like a dozen different things. You know, I love pizza. You know, <laughs> it's a very different thing than what we're saying here. Uh, but the Greek language has distinct words for distinct loves, and the word here is agape. And agape love is unconditional love that seeks the highest good of others. Unconditional love that seeks the highest good of others. So what makes agape love greater and higher than brotherly love is this unconditional nature. Agape love does not wait to be reciprocated before it acts. The object of love does not need to have the right qualities or, or meet the right conditions before agape love will act. Also, there is no cost too high for agape love to pay. Unconditional love bears the cost. And Jesus taught in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So there's no greater cost a person can pay than their own life. And so to pay that cost for someone else's good, for someone else's benefit, that is the greatest act of love. And uh, some of you may know I am a history buff and I love reading ancient battles. And so I'm going to share one of them with you here that it, it kind of illustrates this here. And uh, so it, it's the called the Battle of Sempach. And it goes back to, it's in, from July 9, 1386, and the Austrian Empire is invading the Swiss Confederacy. It wasn't called Switzerland yet, it was just the, the Swiss counties. And so Duke Leopold III of Austria, he's leading his army in to Swiss, and the Swiss have their militia gathered trying to defend themselves, and they kind of lose each other. They're all going around the countryside, and they finally meet up, and the Austrians have these ridiculously long lances. They're like 12 feet long. And so they have this line of soldiers all, you know, shoulder to shoulder with these lances out. And, and the, the Swiss on the opposite side on their line, they've just got these spears and shields with swordsmen behind, and they just can't even reach the Austrians. They can't cross that distance because all the lances are blocking them, and they don't have anything that's as long. And so they're just on this standoff, and they're, go they're going to get crushed and pushed back and pinned and, and all these things. And then one soldier uses his own body to create an opening. 
He just drops everything and he goes in front of his, the Swiss line and he starts grabbing the, the pointy ends of the lances, as many as he can, and he throws his body on top of them, trapping these lances. And, and that's the opening they need because all those men holding those lances, they can't do anything now. Their lances are trapped under this guy. His name was, it's fun to say, it's, it's Arnold von Winkelried. <laughs> Arnold von Winkelried. And <laughs> his body's trapping these lances. And so that there's, now there's this hole in the line. All the Swiss, their axe and men and their swordsmen come running through and they break through the other line. And it, it, then it's just chaos and then it turns the battle. And it, and it breaks these lines and the Swiss win the battle and they keep their independence. And so Arnold von Winkelried, <laughs> he's an example of bearing, of love that bears the cost. He bore the burden of that danger, of the lethal danger of those lances, very literally bore them so that others could be free. And it's the nature, this bearing the cost nature of love that is behind all the qualities of love we see in 1 Corinthians 13, that familiar chapter. If you've ever heard a chapter on love, it's 1 Corinthians 13, right? And uh, I'm going to read 4 through 7 here. And bearing the cost, it, it's so much behind these different qualities. Chapter, or verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So how can love do all these things? Because it bears all things. But it bears them with purpose. Don't confuse bearing the cost, this bearing cost of love. Don't confuse that with being a doormat, a pushover, someone who doesn't set any boundaries. No, unconditional love bears the cost with purpose. It bears all things and endures all things because it hopes to bring about the greatest good for the other person and it believes it is possible in God. So, and this is a love we don't see among humankind. By nature, without, apart from God, we don't see this among people. Um, and you just think, about, we know our human nature too well. We don't trust the love of strangers for sure because you know, it's, Especially today, when we just know it, anyone offering you anything, okay, what's your angle? There's got to be something in this for you. We, you know, we, are, we are the most marketed to, sold to generation ever. And so we're very untrusting. Because we just, everyone, there's got to be an angle to this. What's in it for you? But even we think about that example I gave earlier, Arnold. I mean, he, what, he didn't do that for strangers. He did it out of brotherly love for his countrymen. It was, it had that unconditional cost-bearing nature to it. So we, I mean, we, we are, we're cynical, we're untrusting. 
because we're so sold to and marketed to. And it's, it's the sacrifice of love. When we see that sacrifice of true love, that's what wins our hearts over. And this unconditional love, it's seen in Jesus Christ. 1 John 3.16. So not the Gospel of John, the letter of John. 1 John 3.16. By this we know love. How do we know love? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And then later on, same letter, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, which we read earlier. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God's unconditional love for you is displayed in Jesus. Jesus paid the ultimate price by sacrificing his life on the cross for you. And we think about God's love. God's love acted before we met any conditions, before we had met any qualifications or conditions, he sent his son. And the word propitiation, which, which John uses here, it shows the depth of that love. Propitiation means it, it is an act that appeases righteous anger. And I, I was trying to think of an example of righteous anger, and anything I think of is going to hit close to comb because <laughs> there's, there's, I'm sure someone's experienced it in some way, but I'm going to throw something out here as, as a hypothetical example. So suppose a pharmaceutical company was caught red-handed knowingly selling poison that had killed your family member. I hope that's not the case for anyone here, but it's a real possible scenario. If that had happened, the family, well, and anyone who heard about it, would be rightfully, rightfully outraged, right? Think of that scenario. That there's righteous, any anger about that is righteous anger. And, and what could possibly be done? What could that company possibly do to appease that sort of anger? And that's the sort of anger that's like it burned this place down, <laughs> sort of anger. What could possibly be done to appease that? I mean, no financial compensation would ever be enough. And I'm not saying, by the way, that that anger is justified to burn the place down. I'm just saying that's, that's the degree of that anger. <laughs> um, but no, no compensation, no money would ever be enough to appease that righteous anger. The, 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 the company would have to do incredible acts of atonement, acts of restoration, acts of demonstrating sincere change to ever hope to even begin to appease this righteous anger over this wrong. And our sins provoke that kind of righteous anger in God. Yet, yet God does not wait for us to change before his love acts. He doesn't wait for us to appease his anger before he acts in love for our good anyway. He pays the price to appease his righteous anger. He bears the cost and the punishment. He takes it upon himself to restore what we've broken. 
And he does this even for people who hate him. He, his love acts for their greatest good. And he acts to make ruined, wicked sinners righteous and whole. He acts to give them spiritual life and eternal life. God is love. And love is from God. And hopefully now we have a pretty good vision now of what this unconditional love for the highest good of another is. So the question then, well, how does this love of God become yours? That's what we're talking about, qualities that we are to embrace, that we're to develop. Well, how does this love become yours? Well, Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 says this. And this is the Apostle Paul praying for believers. And he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you, being rooted and, and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the death and resurrection of Christ, it, only, it doesn't only demonstrate God's love for us, it makes it possible for his love to be in you. God the Father, out of his, his riches, he sends the Holy Spirit to strengthen your inner being with power, to know Christ's love and to be filled with that love. So the Spirit, he, he strengthens you so that love has power to be exercised in you. That, this, is, this is power that, power to work, power to move. So, and by faith, you embrace Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And you welcome him in to cleanse you and to rule in your heart as his home. You're, so you're, you're able to recognize this love and to be confident in it. And now, we can never know, you know, the full ends and limits of God's love, right? He says it's the love beyond knowing. But we can experience it and abide it and, and recognize it. And the result of this, of all this described here, is that you are being filled, filled to the brim with the fullness of God. Jesus takes away on the cross. He takes your selfishness and he gives you his love. His spirit shows you that he is Savior and Lord and when you embrace him by faith, he makes you alive so that his love may fill you up. 1 John 4, 13 through 16. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love, God abides 
For whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, going back to 2 Peter here, it says, make every effort to add this love to your faith. So we, we see how, how do we have this love? Jesus. Jesus makes it alive and active in us. How do we grow? What, what is this every effort that we're to be making? Well, Ephesians 3 said, you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. So rooted give this, gives this picture of the roots of a tree that, that is deep down in the soil of God's love. So God's love for you and your love for him is the soil that your spirit feeds on. And they are also the sure foundation you build your life on. Now, how do we feed on God's love? Well, we read about it and look at it and remind ourselves of it. We take it to heart. So, it, you know, so I have verses here that, that have really shown me God's love, but I'm sure each of you, as you've gone through life, you've, you have a, that special Bible verse that, that just God used to to show your heart his love for you and that changed you. So use those scriptures. You know, put, put it, post it on the mirror. <laughs> so you see it first thing in the morning. Post, put it as the background on your phone, on your computer. Put it in those places where you're going to see it throughout your day. Put those truths of God's love for you where you will see them and read them. Because that only takes, I mean, it takes less than a minute to read one verse and say, this is true in my life. And just tell yourself and remind yourself of that. And this is throughout your day. This is, that's you feeding on God's love. Reminding yourself what it means. And then meditate. Take, a, you know, the, take that extended time to take those verses. Like the ones we just read from 1 John. And just repeat them and think about them. Think, what does this mean to me and in my life? Because that extended time... Even if done, you know, once a month, that, that, has, that now you have, gives you something to think about with those verses every time you look back at those verses again. That time you spent, it has a treasure now with you every time you review it, even for a second. So we remind ourselves of God's love. We remind ourselves what it means that God is love, that he loves you, that there's nothing can, that can separate you from his love. So in misfortune, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. When you feel rejected, when you feel like you have failed, when you don't know the answers, when you are exhausted, when you are attacked and persecuted, God loves you and his love is at work in your life. And so remind yourself of these things. Pray to God that he would reveal the depths of them to you and anchor yourself in his love and feed on his love. And then we have to take it a step further than feeding it. Feeding, we're receiving that grace from God and then we are called to exercise this love that he's put in us. And we exercise this by loving God and loving our neighbor. Matthew 22, verses 37, 39 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So God calls you to exercise the love that he has put in you. And if you love God, you will obey him because all his commands are love. First John 5, two through three says, by this we know 
that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. If, we, if you say you love him but don't keep his commandments, you're, you are fooling yourself. To love him is to seek his will in his word and to follow it. And if you find, if you, you're looking at God's word, you're seeking his will, and you find a command that you find difficult to follow, difficult to obey, difficult to struggle with, either you don't want to or it's going to cost you or whatever it may be, look, remind yourself of God's love. Remind yourself why you can trust God's love. And ask him to give you a heart to obey. Now then start obeying it, whether your heart has caught up with you yet or not, whether your heart's in it yet or not, start obeying it. And at first, this will be difficult. This will even be grievous to you because the old nature is being put to death in your new obedience to God. The old nature that wanted to sin is, does not like your new obedience. So this will feel grievous to you, but it will become, as you continue in it and practice it, it will become joy in your life to please God. And then out of that love for God, you also love your neighbor. So even when you don't feel like it, you love them. If nothing else, just out of obedience to God, out of love for God. And there's a reason why God put, why scripture puts the love of God first, the first and great, and then the love of neighbor second. Because we don't, we cannot and will not rightly love our neighbor unless we love God. Because this unconditional love that says love them for their greatest good <laughs> requires that you have a definition of greatest good. So you can't love your neighbor rightly without truth, without an idea of the greatest good given you by God, defined for you by God. And without God in the picture, it becomes corrupted, which is what the world tries to do. It tries to detach love for neighbor, detach it from love for God, and tries to make loving your neighbor the highest thing. But without that love for God, it, it becomes detached from truth and reality, and it becomes confused and corrupted, and it becomes meaningless. It becomes just, well, just to prove whatever your neighbor does and don't, make sure you don't offend them. Which is not what God did. When we look at what God did, <laughs> what Jesus did, he never once approved sin. He called out the sins of men that ruined them and each other. And when he called people out, he offended them. He offended many. But he always did this for the purpose of bringing them to the highest good, to their greatest good. And likewise, then you are to serve your neighbor, to meet his needs, to bring him towards the greatest good, to help bear his burdens. Love takes the initiative. It chooses to act. It doesn't wait to be loved back. It bears all things and endures all things because it hopes for the greatest good and believes that in God it is possible. Now, loving your neighbor, just like the obedience to God, loving your neighbor might have a rough start. It'll be hard, especially as you realize it's going to cost you. You're going to have to give up doing something you wanted to do <laughs> that you'd rather do for you because you're going to do something for someone else. And we start this just by intentionally looking, for, looking to find what others' needs are. 
and then look for what you can do to help. How can you help? No matter how small it is, what can you do about that? And then just start doing that. And the more you look, the more needs you will find, and the more you try to help, the more ways that you will find that you can help. And as this becomes a habit, a practice in your life, you will find that it is easier to recognize the needs of others, and it is easier to respond in love when you see those needs. So we grow in love by feeding on God's love for us and exercising that love for him and for others. So when God's love is in you and is increasing, it bears remarkable fruit. That's the promise of 2 Peter. It bears remarkable fruit. And we could talk about this. I'll, I'll put it real quick summary here. You're going to see maturity. You're going to develop. You're going to have, and because of that, you're going to have confidence. You're going to have satisfaction. You're going to, your faith is going to be strengthened because you're going to see God's power is at work in you and is effective and is transforming you. And as you see that at work in you, you're going to want that for others. As you see it bless others, it's going to revive and help you. And scripture talks about godliness in us is a sweet-smelling aroma in the world. And that, that's what God wants for you. He wants you, your presence, your, your action, your behavior, your presence with others to be a sweet-smelling aroma. When, when you've come, people are, are glad you were there. And they're sad to see you go. So that it does a remarkable effect in your life. So in Christ, God has made you a partaker in his divine nature. He has placed his love within you. So feed on his love. Exercise that love within you. Love your neighbor freely for their good. And the love of God will be fruitful and effective in you. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your great love for us, your unconditional love for our good in Jesus Christ, who rescues us and redeems us and brings us to new life and eternal life in you, who restores us and transforms us in this life. And pray that your love would be in us, that we would grow in it, that we'd feed on you, that we would show this love to others, that we'd be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.